Kelly, Drew, Marcel, welcome to Wealth Chat. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really ha uh, happy to have you guys here because we're going to discuss our Voice of the Advisor survey. Um, we've got the results back and there's some really interesting insights. But before we dive into all that great stuff, uh, let's start with some intros. Kelly, we can start with you. Sure. Yeah, I'm Kelly Walsh. I'm uh, from Vancouver. I've uh, been in this wonderful industry almost 30 years and um, you know, I, I've, I've worked, I started as a teller um, and I kind of worked all the roles, been an advisor and worked through credit unions and worked through um, independent brokerage and full service brokerage at a bank. Um, so really have a, a broad view of the, the industry and my, I'm also on the board for Investments and Wealth Institute. So, um, but my passion is really around practice management and helping advisors make critical paradigm shifts in their business. And then I would say secondly, the other aspect of what I do is work with the the firms to help them remove the barriers for those advisors to actually execute on that. So if I was to sum it up, I'd say I'm a change agent and <laughs> I just recently got ProSci certified. So that validates it. <laughs> That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Drew? Yeah. Hi. Uh, and thanks for having me. Um, so Drew Brown, I'm here in Toronto. Um, and uh, I've been in the industry, like Kelly, quite a long time, my whole career, about over 25 years. Um, I've been a student of the market for as long as I can remember. Um, but And I started my career um, helping high net worth clients plan and invest, and, and that was a lot of fun. Um, and then uh, working with some of the smaller firms after I got my CFA accreditation, um, I, it was in research and portfolio management, um, but a lot of it also had to do with uh, problem solving and trying to figure out more efficient ways to get things done and more efficient ways to do things. And that really actually was a pivot point in the career. And I, and I, I sort of uh, changed to, to now being, like Kelly said, a bit of a change agent, but someone who is, I spent the last 10 years trying to find ways to enable advisor practices to help firms transform their advisory businesses um, to drive efficiency, um, to even drive advisor experience where they would want to come and work for them. So, um, and that's been a real passion of mine. And uh, Voice of the Advisor is really, uh, in my opinion, a key to that. And we'll talk more about that as we go through. Perfect. And last but not least, Marcel, tell us about yourself. Thank you so much, <laughs> uh, Marcel Schroeder. Um, as, as we go through the number of years we've had in the industry, I actually have more than both of these two. So, um, it's, it's been, it's been a really interesting, uh, career and, um, I've been focused on a lot of, uh, a lot of things, building out mutual fund companies, um, building out new divisions of wealth, building out private banking. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I realized throughout my career was I was always putting the, I was always marrying that technology and the wealth technology with the wealth management, and it it you know it, it brought me to a fintech area where we were doing the same thing and it's and it's one of those um, combinations that's so strong when it's done right when it's digitalized and um, really with with CGI now we're focused on that advisor experience and how do we really leverage the digitalization capabilities and. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, enhancing that client experience as well. Perfect. Um, so let's move on to the survey. There were a lot of really interesting insights that we gained this year, but I'm curious, were there things that stood out to you guys, things that surprised you that you weren't expecting? Um, we can start with Kelly again. Kelly, what were you surprised by? 
Um, yeah, well, I think from last year, um, we saw more of a shift away from there was a heavy focus on bank advisors. And this year we see more of the respondents coming from independent full service brokerage. Um, the other couple things in demographics is the book sizes are larger from last year. And then I would say the average age was a bit of a surprise, too. It had gone down it, rather than being above 60. It was between that 50 and um, 59 age range. And so, um, you know. I kind of thought about that and I thought maybe this is the, you know, breakaway advisor that's, you know, decided to leave the the banks and they're, you know, in their new firm and they're looking for their voice to be heard and they're looking to um, gain insight from, from others and find out what everyone else is doing right and what they're struggling with. Right. Um, Drew, I, mm. I did actually want to ask you uh, also about the survey itself, yeah. besides your surprise. Sure. Can you tell me a, a bit about the survey before you dive into yeah. what you were uh, intrigued by? Yeah, sure. I, yeah, the survey was um, something that, that was I, I developed last year. It's a, This is our second. Um, and really, it was about trying to capture uh, the voice of the front line, the people who run wealth management. These are uh, businesses. Everyone's a unique business, and a, and and that creates a little bit of a struggle both for their voice being heard, but also for firms understanding. Um, you know, when you talk to an advisor and you ask them what they need or or what would help their business grow, they're going to be very focused and should be on their practice. And in a firm of eight hundred advisors, you probably have. 800 different practices. And so as a firm, it's hard to really understand where they should prioritize their spend and the like. So by putting out a survey to the market, to the industry, we're gathering information from, you know, up to 600 advisors from all different practices, from all different walks of life, um, that therefore starts to uh, surface trends, starts to surface areas that they all have in common, which gives a little bit more um, insight for the firms to sort of understand how do we prioritize enabling those businesses. So, and that I, I felt was something that was lacking in the industry. And in my experience, uh, previous life, um, that was uh, very much the same. We would have ad advisory councils of 10 to 15 advisors for a, for a firm the size of eight to 900. So, um, by putting it out in the market and allowing a third party to collect the information, I think it's going to give, as Kelly said, some advisors the opportunity to have their voices heard. But I think it's going to give a, the industry an opportunity to see the insights, the trends that are starting to, to play out. And, and you'll hear that as we go through the conversation. Um, if I turn out of the surprises, it's interesting when I looked at the year over year, the one that I would say it's a surprise, but that it also gives me good insight is um, advisors are no longer as concerned about uh, data privacy, security, compliance. And I don't think that they're not concerned about those things. I think what it means is we're approaching a maturity level where they're comfortable that their firms are taking care of it. And we've even seen that in, in other uh, surveys of executives where they're um, deprioritizing it because they've spent so much time on it, because they have a, a process in place. And I think everyone is starting to become more comfortable with that. Um, the other one was, and, and I don't mean this derogatorily, but uh, advisors really felt uh, they were indicating that they felt they were well supported by their firms. And this is a group that tends to sort of, you know, always want to, to have 
the next thing, always wanting to, to ensure that their practice is moving along and most efficient. And as again, they should be. Um, but in the past, I think there's been a lot of um, disgruntled advisors. I would say now, just based on the results, it sounds like firms have done a very good job of communicating, a very good job of achieving the short-term tactical needs for COVID. Um, and, and that, I think, actually just creates an opportunity for uh, firms to, to continue down that path. They've now got advisors' attentions and they, they're, they're comfortable with how things are going. No, absolutely. And it, it sounds like firms are, uh, re they really stepped up during the pandemic when advisors were truly in need. Uh, they did uh, what was needed. And we're clearly seeing the results of that with satisfied advisors, which is great. Um, now, Marcel, what were you surprised by? Um, the, you know, there was, there was a lot of confirmation, I would say, of some of the trends that we really believed were, were there. And trends are interesting, too, because it's not a one-year trend. Trends can be long-term trends, some can be very short-term. And I think what, what we saw was that there was a lot of trends that we were monitoring that were confirmed in, in the results. I would say the, the surprise to me would have been really um, around uh, when, they, when you looked at some of the services offered, I found that the cash flow planning was, was really low and um, it was less than 50%. And, and, and to me, cash flow planning is not a once and done thing. It is an ongoing activity. And I think as the uh, advisory services um, continue to evolve, you're going to see it moving into a lot more of a goals-based advice type process. And with the goals-based advice, what you get is that not just you know, the setting of the goal, but it's the most important piece is the monitoring of it, right? And in order to monitor it, you need to monitor the cash flow, you need to monitor what's changing. And that in turn will, will start changing and will evolve, um, you know, how important the cash flow capability is. I would say even myself, like I, people need to be handheld when it comes to cash flow planning. Um, they just don't do it. It's, it's just, you know, it's important. They need to do it but they need that support and the ongoing um, help to do it. Uh, you know, I always think of uh, a good comparable was the Fitbit. When you think of what the Fitbit did, and you probably all have it or have a version of it now, but people all know what their steps are. And why is that? It's because it's changed their behavior. It's the monitoring that has really enabled them to actually create the goal, the monitoring of it, and now that behavior is, you know, something that's solid and in place. And I think that's the same thing you're going to see with uh, the goals-based advice and planning. Absolutely. It's, uh, tracking is definitely something that everyone's very interested in. Um, and we saw over the pandemic that we started tracking, like, various aspects of our lives just to make sure that we're improving and we are on the right track. So uh, that's definitely an area that we will return to because I'm sure there's a lot of uh, very insightful things that were gained. Um, now, I do want to start off with, I suppose, what did we gain from the survey the most? Like, what are advisors asking for? What did we learn? Uh, what do we now know that they're deficient in and need assistance with? Yeah, yeah, you know, that that's, uh, that, that's an area, obviously, a passion of mine around advisors and how to enable their business. And I think, again, we're seeing the same trend as we saw last year in a couple of key areas. One is around, you know, it's, it's not so much the new tools, the new toys, it's the, the tissue in between, the connective tissue between. Advisors uh, clearly indicated in the survey, the top answer was in a better integration between their tools. And I think, 
you know, that's been uh, an industry problem for, for as far as long as I've been in it, is the introduction of tools don't always come with a full integration. And what I mean by that is I, as an advisor, I'm not able to, uh, to walk my entire process through technology without having to log into another system or rekey information somewhere else in order to get to an account or, um, or to get access to information that I, that I would otherwise hope I could just get at my fingertips. And I think the industry is, is recognizes that, but again, sits at the very top of their responses. And I think it's key to, as they become an expanded offering, they're going to need the efficiency based in baked into that. Um, the other one, no surprise, is around uh, automation of core capabilities. Um, and I think that one always comes to mind mostly because uh, they're starting to see the benefit of it. Um, an example being um, many of the firms have digitalized their onboarding capability, have done what they can to make that a much more seamless um, path. Um, and many of the robo-advisors sort of forced that that path because they all introduced these very simplistic op account opening. But I think advisors have seen the true benefit of that. And the pandemic obviously accelerated a lot of that work, um, accelerated a lot of the automation, digitalization, um, which drove efficiency. And so I think advisors are looking for more, you know, find more ways to, su to support that. Um, the, the third, the, of the top three, the third one, was I don't want to say it's a surprise because it's one that we've understood for a while, but it but it, it almost came from the bottom to the top, which was uh, streamlined investment management. And again, I think it's really just part of the evolution of going from you know that typical investment advisor to a wealth advisor or a more holistic advice business. So having to make sure that they have capacity is about driving efficiency in any way they can. And, and investment, um, obviously the investment management is very important to this business. It's a, the cornerstone of it. Um, but there are ways in which to make it more seamless. And I think there, that's, the, that's one of the big asks this year, which was not there last year. Right, Marcel, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, in here I thought you weren't gonna point us out one at a time <laughs> on the thoughts on it, but... Um, yeah, you know what? And in, in, in to Drew's point, the 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 interesting thing is to see, you know, how they stacked up, right? And um, and and I think it aligned with what we kind of expected it to do it to be aligning to. Um, in in many cases, the 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 key uh, elements of what you would expect from an advisor experience come out, came out strong and, and came out clear in regards to a you know, what they're focused on, but B, also where more, most of the improvements still can be made because because they've evolved, because it's it's something they're working on, doesn't mean they're efficient at it yet. And I think those efficiencies that will continue to be able to come out of it are, are areas where, you know, we can work with um, companies and advisors to help them identify, you know, some of those pain points and how we can actually help them become more efficient in the processes. Yeah, I yeah, know that. I think... We're going to see that as we move along, um, advisors wanting to be more involved, more influential on the path. And Kelly mentioned breakaway advisors. I think a lot of them are looking for opportunity to um, define that path themselves or at least have more of a voice on, on the definition. And I, I think that that trend will continue for sure. 
Yeah, I would say that they they are looking for their voices to be heard. They want to have an influence on those decisions before they're made. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, you know, as they move to that, you know, wealth advisor um, and broadening out all of their services, you know, I do think that that investment management component is becoming commoditized. And so they're just looking for more... Um, solutions to help them kind of scale up and do the great work that they they really want to focus on and know that the clients value. Absolutely. And um, the first two things, and possibly even uh, all three, to me, they seem very connected. It's almost like in order to streamline things, you need that you need integration, right? That's what will allow it. That's what will enable it. Um, so there's definitely a, jur- a journey that firms have been on, and we've uh, have heard a fair bit uh, from them and from different uh, research that comes out uh, about them having this mission to become more streamlined. But there's obviously uh, a lot of pain points along the way that. Um, None of us are technically savvy at this point to really dive into, but uh, uh, for sure that that is an area that they're looking at. Well, I, I think, you know, from the conversations that I've had with advisors, it's really coming down to like the three core platforms, right? Like investment management, um, financial planning and CRM. If you can have those three at the very basic level integrated, talking to each other, et cetera. And then you can start layering on other things. Um, you know, the firms that can solve that will be way ahead of the game for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, Drew and I have had this discussion many times, the idea of platformization, right? And what does it mean? It doesn't have to be uh, like this one, you know, inclusive program. It could be many programs in the background that are just integrated to that connective tissue that you mentioned. Yeah, and you don't want to be in that swivel chair effect. I think you, you called it, right. um, you know, going from here mm-hmm. to over here and then rekeying. And, um, you know, that's where errors happen. It's not efficient. It, it's um, a, a huge pain point for advisors. And so um, if, if we want to be laser focused anywhere on improving the industry, I think that is where uh, firms need to be starting to invest in. Sure. Yeah, I had one ad- advisor describe it to me as the mosaic approach when he was trying to build up a, a, um, a review for a client. They're right. having to literally capture information from three or four different, different places sources. in order to then package it together. And I, I think the the quicker we get to a place where that's not required and it's a press of a button, um, that 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 to me is the largest degree of efficiency and also. I think it, it allows advisors to um, almost uh, put it together. I would say, um, I don't want to say on the fly because it, it's not about that, but just that at any point in time, they could just get the insights at, the finger, at their fingertips, right. which, which takes a lot longer now. Well, and I think, you know, the expectations of advisors and clients are being set by other firms. That's true. Right? Yeah. So it's firms like... Um, Apple and Google and um, Facebook and these companies that have been able to figure out, you know, if you looked at this, then you uh, you'll likely need this. And so just that sophistication level of systems and being able to leverage the um, AI and machine learning in there to be able to kind of do things more efficiently in general. I think on that, I think people are also still getting used to that AI and at first it seemed intrusive, right? It was, it was um, 
like somebody's watching or listening or whatever until they start seeing the value in it, right? And the value is that, oh, yeah, I do need that, or, right? And so it's like anything else, it's evolving, I think. And, and from, a, from, from an advisor uh, perspective, um, those things are also evolving. And I think the, the client has become much more receptive to being able to understand what is that next best action, right? What, do I, what, what should I be thinking about? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, th- that's really interesting, Kelly, because it is other firms that are sort of setting the pace for change as well. So we talk about, uh, you know, there's there's the FANG firms, for instance, your Facebook and Google and Netflix and, of course, Amazon. But they sort of have been setting the precedent, right, for some of the consumer demands that are out there. Uh, Facebook, uh, Facebook, obviously, with their instant messaging and community connections. Um, and then Amazon really came in and changed the game with their same-day delivery and uh, utilizing all the AI and ML to really give uh, their consumers uh, things that they didn't even know they wanted, right? Exactly. Like, oh, I had no idea I would be interested in this, but here it is. It's popped up because people... Um, that are interested in things that I'm interested in usually tend to go in this route and want this product, right? So it really opened up the space. And now advisors are in, um, they're in an area where they're also expected to behave almost like an Amazon, right? Where clients sort of expect them to anticipate their needs and be there before they even realize that they have a particular need. That's right. And, and then advisors are expecting their firms to act the same way. Precisely, yes, because if they, if they have to act a certain way, they need the support for it as that's well, right. right? And that's where the firm comes in. Now, I did see something really interesting in the survey that I think uh, ties into this really well, and that's the uh, role of advisors and particularly their shift in wanting to be wealth advisors instead of usually we're used to, you know, um, investment managers or uh, some call themselves Uh, you know, financial planners or money managers and so on and so forth. But we've seen for like two years now that there's a shift where more of them go towards the wealth advisor title. And that shift um, or trend, uh, as Marcel mentioned earlier, is is expected to continue. So, yeah, you bet. I mean, I, I've, <laughs> I feel like I've been talking about this for a few decades now, <laughs> but I, it's actually happening. And I think, um, you know, the pace of change in the industry has picked up so rapidly that it, it really has forced advisors to make this shift. And so what we see for the future of advice is really, you know, that old, old way that kind of um, financial advisor that was selling stock or selling um, product and and being measured on um, if they were successful or not based on, you know, performance and um, just kind of marketing to anyone. You know, that was the old way. Uh, they started moving into the financial planner realm and offering more advice and starting to slowly kind of cater to um particular clients. Um, And now where you see is they really want to be that wealth advisor. They want to be that trusted person, um, that trusted advisor in their clients' lives. So when something happens to a client, the first person that they think about calling is that advisor. Um, You know, it's shifting away from that, that, you know, product focus and really looking at the advice because as life has gotten more complicated um, and as people um, see the risk of getting something wrong um, so, like, 
the stakes are so high, they really want to look to an advisor for that advice. So the wealth advisor trend has certainly um, started. It's going to continue. Um, and I think you'll see advisors starting to really focus on more niche marketing and finding, you know, a real niche to work with and understand the unique problems that those types of clients are facing and then solve those problems for those clients. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I think, um, we look at there, there's all sorts of, um, areas that, um, advisors have dabbled in and, and done little bits and pieces because the ask of a client, um, you know, can you do, uh, monetize my stock options and they would just do it. They would just do it. Um, they'd learn it, they'd do it once. But I think to your point, as, as they become the advisor, the, 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 the person who they look to for advice, um, they can't just say, well, let me look into it and I'll figure it out for you. Right. They, they actually have to have that uh, capability established. And I think a lot of them want to, to your point around establishing. I think the, the, the spray and pray, like just going after all clients is, is just too hard because it just means you have to learn absolutely everything. And instead of focusing in on a couple of key areas of value, and I think that word is going to, it plays a really big part here is what do clients value? And that will drive the next set of advice um, trends because um, it's no longer uh, an, adv an advisor-driven industry. It's a client-driven industry. So what they value is what will, what will, what advisors will need to start to um, uh, get better at or choose uh, a path. Yeah, and I think it's about broadening out the services as well, right? So really, like, again, we've been talking about this for a long time, but broadening out from financial planning to more comprehensive, integrated wealth management and being that person who can bring the trusted advisors that they have in the rest of their financial lives, such as accountants and lawyers and whatnot, and bringing them to the table at the right time to address the concerns that those clients are um, bumping up against. So I think there was a quote, um, and it said, the best advisors are those that don't study the money, they study the future that the clients are trying to achieve. And so I, I like to, to frame it in a way of, <clears throat> um, if money is the fuel to burn, what does the destination look like? And have you planned for all of the potential breakdowns in that vehicle to get you there? The, um, you know, uh, accidents that might happen along the way and unforeseen roadblocks. So um, that's that's the role of a true wealth advisor. Hmm. It's interesting. Spray and pray. I thought that was golf. <laughs> oh, that's my golf. Right. <laughs> You know, the other thing that I, I, I find really interesting, growing up in this industry, you think of career paths for people and wealth, right? And back in the day, everybody wanted to be a broker, right? They wanted to be that portfolio manager, that person that was doing the investments. And, you know, that's that was kind of where, where everybody aspired to be. Um, when you look at the results of the survey now, I think 75% of the respondents identify themselves as financial planners or wealth advisors now. So right. th there's there's been a significant change and shift, and it's not finished. It's continuing to, oh, yeah. to you know, what uh, you guys were saying around adding the additional services and advice being the core of the offering. Yeah, well, I mean, even, even in the survey and the numbers show, it's like the jump 
in what people will call themselves five years out. It's a significant change from being any one of the ones you mentioned. Every one of them has a decline, and Wealth Advisor is the one that has the jump, right? So I think, yeah, to your point, we have been talking about this for a long time, but but it it is now moving and it's not to say that the industry has stood still for the for time there are lots of advisors out there that have been wealth advisors for a long time okay. i think it's an in, it's now an industry trend it's not just those who figured it out early on and i also see you know unique titles coming in um into play of like financial coaches and hmm. and wellness and life coaching and you know because all of these things are bundled into this and it's yeah. it's really interesting to watch where where the industry has been where we are and where we're headed to absolutely and um it's really interesting that you guys are talking about those expanded services because um so to me, it does make sense that they would want to shift away from the investment manager title or the financial planet, uh, planner title because they're doing so much more than just financial planning or investment management. So it's almost like if you call yourself that, you may be holding yourself back a bit and you're not uh, fully, you know, uh, you're not properly almost like advertising yourself, right? right? Because you're doing so much more than just those limited activities. Well, and back to some of the surprises, um, you know, there was a real big miss in philanthropy, which is kind of interesting to me because that is, as you would expect, as part of that, you know, broader, more comprehensive services. But it is, it has been missed. And when you look at the numbers, it really um, is, is an opportunity, I think, for advisors to start exploring more going forward. And I wonder if, um, you know, they don't feel like they have been, as exposed or supported in in managing that area because they're navigating that area because it's really complicated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, going into philanthropy and, and bringing those accountants and um, lawyers and whatnot to the table um, to address those issues. The other one that was interesting to me, and this one is a personal one for me, is, is elder care. Um, a big miss on that one. You know, I I can't remember the numbers exactly, but I think it was around 7%, um, you know, talk about it all the time. And 32% was sometimes. And it's like elder care is one of the biggest issues on a go forward basis. And in my opinion, having had, um, you know, my father develop Alzheimer's and my mom had to, you know, go through that. And now me being... um, you know, that sandwich generation taking care of, you know, young kids and uh, aging parents and saying, you know, where was the advisor in this conversation with my mom to have helped prep for this eventual demise with Alzheimer's? And we know, you know, mental capacity, uh, Alzheimer's, dementia, that is on the rise. And um, long-term care is something that can financially break People. I think there was a stat that said, um, it, it was in an article I was reading, it was about 18% of people will be financially broken a few years into uh, the, the long-term care situation. Yeah. yeah. Completely wiped out, right? Because how expensive it is, and that is, is only going to increase. Yeah, I mean, you look at the market today um, and the demographics of the market today. We have two of the largest cohorts sitting on either side of the of, of the extremes. You have the baby boomers who are retired or retiring. The elder care story is 
very important there. They're also the wealthiest, and so philanthropy is there. And being the second largest cohort, it's, uh, it is surprising that, that that hasn't taken hold a little bit more. Um, and then the, millennia, the millennials or the younger the investors that are just getting started. Right. And I think that market will be well served because accumulation is something we have we have been dealing with really following the baby boomers, right? All of their needs sort of set the path, prioritize the way in which business operated. So I think the millennials, although they, they, they ask for a different engagement model, I don't think it's a different set of investments. I think, I think we'll, we'll find that. Um, and again, they're also right at the beginning of their journey. So there's lots to go. We'll, we'll follow them along and, you know, I won't make any predictions now, but, um, when they have more money, they'll want advice would be my guess. How they get it will be determined at the time. But I think, you know, we have to maintain that the baby boomers are still going to need to, or will drive priority because they do have the, the wealth. And I would suggest that those two you mentioned, both philanthropy as, and, and I would say even multi-generational transfer are, are probably the three biggest. And, um, I, I, you know, hopefully we'll start to see those trends take an uptick in the next few surveys. We'll see. I think, sorry, I was, I was going to say that's probably why it's so personal too, because I think we all have experiences um, with elder care and things like that. And we realize even being in the business, there's so much room for improvement, right? right. And when you go through it and you see it, you really, really realize that you have the ability to help impact that and to, to make a difference. And it really does impact families in such a big way, I think. So, you know, it, it, it's emotional for everybody. And, and it's also the ability, your, our ability to sort of um, change it and make sure. it more, um, you know, realistically out there for people to understand what they need to do and what to expect. Well, yeah. I think it, it comes back to the nobility of this business. I, I talk about this all the time. I know you guys are probably sick of hearing me talk about it. But I, I think it's really important for us to focus on that because it's part of what gets me up in the day. Because I'm helping advisors do a better job of working with their clients. And you are literally changing people's lives, crossing generations. And not too many industries can say that they are able to, you know, affect lives, multi-generations, and their work that they do actually transcends death. So it's it's pretty important, and I think we can lose sight of that when we're going about our day. Um, but for me, it's, uh, it is personal, and it, it's something that... Um, is what get you know it's my purpose it's, it's what gets me up in the day. <laughs> there you go yeah no that definitely makes sense and i mean this might be a bit of a cliche but money's personal right and that's what we're dealing with here and um to all of your points these things are definitely gaining a lot more traction that's why we have things like financial wellness like that's uh, an area that's really gaining a lot of traction and it includes things like elder care um, and, uh, you know, things like debt consolidation as well and debt management because people, unfortunately, if there are emergencies, uh, those are services that are needed because not everyone is prepared for those emergencies. Um, so it is definitely an area that is getting a lot more attention as um and it, it all really relates, right? Because you, on the one hand, you have the advisor, as you mentioned, Kelly, that's doing so much more and they're going into things like uh uh, personal finance coaching and life coaching and really helping be there for their clients every step of the way. And financial wellness is one of the ways that they do it because now 
they're really there for you for your for all your various life stages instead of just when you're in your accumulation phase and your uh, gathering assets. Yeah, I think um, financial wellness is a, a, a big focus for firms um, only because, you know, if we help people at the early stages in their, their lives in terms of, you know, getting the right um, habits built up, um, looking at improving their financial literacy and helping them, you know, focus on the things that they can can control um, in order to actually achieve the things that they're trying to achieve. You know, you do that in the early days, um, you end up building lifetime clients because you're, you're building that goodwill. And so that's why you see firms, you know, investing so much in financial wellness and, you know, improving clients' financial literacy, et cetera, um, because that is something that they can actually you know, focus on. And, and when I think of advisors um, working with their their clients, you know, it's, it's one of the biggest areas that you can help them save a little bit more money, put more money in on, um, you know, take a look at their spending plan and understand what they're spending their money on. You know, the, the wealthy are probably the most guilty. They probably don't know what, what they're burning money on. And so helping them understand where that is and, you know, maybe in some cases putting a little bit more discipline into effect. And in other cases, uh, looking at the, the people who've been squirreling money away all this time and not enjoying it and saying, you know what, it's, it's now time to actually enjoy some of this money. And so I think, you know, financial wellness is just such a, uh, an important topic through all life stages and it can really build some terrific loyalty with, with clients and build that lo- lifetime client. Yeah, and you touched on one thing at the end there, um, and that's about the spending and the understanding of the spend. And, um, you know, I think many are, are guilty of um, that when they get into to retirement, um, there are many who are, are sort of nervous about how to do this. Um, they had a paycheck every week or every two weeks or wherever, whatever, however the frequency. That's right. And, and that was easy to, to monitor and manage. And maybe I'd spend a little bit more on a credit card here and there, but, but typically I knew what I had. And retirement that, you know, at the current state, and, and you talked a bit about this on, on income um, projection and income management, um, that I think is, is a tremendous opportunity. We see it in through, with, we see it through the advisor survey, but we see it in other uh, factors that um, how, do we, how do you help a client um, get a get a retirement paycheck. How do you help them use their money in the most efficient manner? And I think that will become a significant uh, achievement and, and this a real opportunity for firms and advisors to find ways to do this in a scalable um, and you know client friendly fashion. Um, you know your point about the wealthy, oftentimes the high net worth, they just throw a whole bunch of money into a bank account and spend it. When it's done, they go and get another whole bunch and throw it in there. Well, it's not the most effective use of that money. Um, And then those who are uh, at the other end of the scale and have retired with a a pension or retired with a a set income um, tend to just squirrel it away and don't and aren't confident enough to spend it because they have no idea whether or not it'll last. And so rather than, you know, get to the end without money, you know, they tend to be ultra conservative and, and don't end up enjoying the retirement. Yeah, and they're afraid to ask, right? <laughs> they're afraid to ask because they don't want to look like 
you know, yeah. I should know this, right? Right. But, but it's like the psychological effect, right? And so this is again that that unique piece of the role, the shifting role of an advisor, right? Yep. Becoming more um, more like a psychologist and and actually delving into how this makes them feel, right? right? How does it feel to go from accumulation to decumulation? It's scary and I'm uncertain and I need a lot of handholding. Mm-hmm. I need that confidence and that guidance and. Um, you know, and sometimes more discipline. So, you know, but knowing how to fill that gap is is a really unique um, skill set that advisors need yeah. to develop and hone yeah. in on. Yeah, and we've asked the question in the past. Like we've asked, I've asked advisors, lots of them, um, around, do you do income project? Do you do income planning with your clients? And and most of them would say, oh yeah, but I can only do it for a certain amount of clients because of the the tremendous amount of work it is to do it, to do it. Um, so I think it's a, it's a real opportunity. So, which may solve your, uh, surprise about it not being such a big part of, of their business. I think we could, we can almost say this is a real opportunity for firms to solve that, make it easy. And advisors will, will sort of just gravitate towards it because it's going to be an ask. It is an ask. Like, let's say it's already an ask, but it doesn't seem like they can necessarily solve it. So perhaps this is the, the one area, um, that the survey highlights to say, this is obviously a need. We can all see that, but how do we solve it moving forward? Yeah. And those firms might be the. And there was some uh, data like um, that I always pre- present to advisors because I said, "Does this like resonate with you? Do, do you recognize this feeling?" And it was really around that shift from accumulation to decumulation. It you are increasing the amount of the workload that those clients are taking. So it's, it's more, they're right. more time intensive to work with a decumulation client than it is for an accumulation client. So as this movement of um, baby boomers have gone into retirement, their workload has increased, but they still have the same amount of time in their day. Mm-hmm. And simultaneously, their income would be dropping because when you look at they are now starting to pull money out. And mm-hmm. if they're on a fee base, that's going to take that um, base amount down. Um, the income-oriented products that you would put them in don't grow as aggressively or, and as quickly. And third, um, the fees that you would charge on those would typically go down. So you've got a, a, a trifecta of things <laughs> that are, uh, you know, set all, be th- all things being equal to reduce an advisor's income while they're, simultaneously increasing the level of work and they're saying yeah we get it that's exactly how we feel and so that's where they really start to need to um look at ways to scale and and um leverage uh technology and and systems and processes and right all the more reasons streamline streamline. that's right if you could make it easy kelly i think even as a parent talking to your child about setting the budget i went through this last night so i'm sitting here (laughs) laughing and thinking about didn't plan it that way, right. but it was like pulling teeth trying to get my son to sit down and do it, right? But going through the exercise was such, an, it, for him, was great because he realized that there's just, he just figured cash in, cash out, and he had things under control. But, um, you know, looking at cash flows and making these things simple, whether it's an advisor with your client or you being able to, to learn what you've learned from your advisor to take it to your family and um, simplifying that process and making it relevant, it's, it's, it's a, an important piece. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And there, there was so much said there that I want to, there's many things that I would like to explore. Um, But, you know, let's start with uh, Marcel. 
um, with this idea of kind of budgeting and planning. Um, we've seen a shift in financial planning, for instance, where we're moving away from that, you know, 45 page financial plan that you would sit there with your client like, you know, once every three to five years. And so and perhaps a certified financial planner would come in the room as well. You would all discuss a few scenarios. This beautiful plan with a lot of colorful charts would get generated that everyone looked at for approximately about 10 minutes. And then it was never really looked at again. Right. And now we're moving to this area of having plans that are smaller, you know, maybe a one-pager or a two-pager, but they're about things that are in the near future, right? Like perhaps you have a goal to buy a car in the next three years. So let's plan for it. Let's see what you need. So I want to sort of uh, speak about that shift, and I want to start with you, Marcel. Like what's happening and where do you see this going? Well, I, the, I, I can just say one thing for sure, and that's the importance of financial planning has been increasing. Um, you know, partly to what Kelly was just talking about around the shifting role of the advisor. That's that's part of it. Um, you know, I didn't want to get into a COVID, but I think COVID has really created um, an opportunity whereby people have had to look inside, look internal, really understand um, what they really need to have. What, what are their insurance needs? Do they have a will? They think about life and because it's been impacted in so many ways, They've got to the point where they really are looking at these things and saying, you know what, I, I need to have some of these goals and I need to really understand these things. Um, but at the end of the day, what it really shows is that they need the advice in order to, to do that. And that's where there's there's been somewhat of a gap. I think the high net worth segment would have, would have their advisors and have that 40-page plan and that's kind of historically what was in place. But for a lot of other people looking for the advice, it wasn't available. And this is where, where you're seeing a significant change. And I think where you're seeing the ability of digital advice capabilities, um, the, the, the ability for interactive um, financial plans. And rather than getting the 40-page document that you might dust off or you may not, having the ability to do what-if scenarios. So what if I don't put this much money into my vacation, what happens, right? And, and you know, having the ability for your advisor even to see what you're changing in your plan to know that what they need to adjust, having those capabilities um, are important. And so this, you know, the, the, the ability to access advice is changing. And I think um, it's leading to more of a hybrid advice capability whereby, Advisors need to understand what what part of is is the relationship building, what part is the digital component of the relationship I have with my client, and you know there's there's probably a lot of um, you know other components that come with it around automation and AI and other components for financial planning, but you know at the end you know what what I think the 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 most important piece is that hybrid capability and having the access to the advice. Yeah, I think I think I think if you if you look at it these days, even just from the survey the what clients are expecting and what advisors are hearing from their clients is a, a digital engagement. And um, we've heard um, in the previous surveys the 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 idea of co-creation and that a plan is 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 the responsibility of both. I, I think in the past financial planning has been done to a client. Um, I think financial planning now is done with a client. 
And that that's a big change. Mm-hmm. The other thing, as you mentioned, was uh, I, I don't really need, I don't need to have a meeting with my advisor to just decide to have a look at, or I, w- I don't really want to have a meeting with an advisor to just throw a, a what if scenario together. Just say, you know what, what if I did a little extra saving? Because, you know, my financial planner would, or my financial advisor, if I suggested that, would say, of course, and let's do it right now. Whereas, you know, and I, I attribute it, uh, again, back to the companies that are driving the expectation of us as consumers. Um, I can buy a car without ever going on a lot, without ever talking to an individual through through a, a, a digital interaction. You can right? buy it through a vending machine now. Right. So, <laughs> it, But it's those kinds of things, I think, where um, wealth management will have to start to understand, and I think advisors do, and, and certainly... You know, they're consumers like everyone else, so why wouldn't they start to expect this to see it? Um, but I think financial planning, um, they recognize that it has to be a bit more of an um, ongoing engagement. And as a client, I would want to be able to just go, to your point, I'm not planning for retirement. I'm planning for my next experience. So I'm just, I'm planning to go away. How much do I need to save? And, and you know, how much of what I do today will suffer so that I can do that? As a, as a grand experience. So I think, yes, financial planning has to evolve away from what it, what it has been. I, don't, I think that's recognized. And because it's taking on more importance, I think firms we're, we're already starting to see are, are putting it as a priority and, and spend. So. Well, I think I've seen advisors, um, the wealth advisors, taking those big comprehensive plans, not giving it to the client right. and using it as their tool. I mean, that's, that's the the ironic thing about all of this financial plans are not for clients. They're actually for the advisor right. to uh, use as a tool to be able to guide their conversations, guide the um, kind of frequency with which they're going to meet with those clients to address all of the different issues that did come out in that financial plan. Because as you're going through each of these, so say you break it down into a roadmap and you you break it down into quarters and you're saying, okay, let's tackle this one piece of this now. And we have a plan to tackle all of these others in the future. By the time you get to the third or, or fourth quarter, something else may have impacted that plan to have completely derailed it and you need to address that. And so breaking this down into bite-sized pieces, taking, um, you know, a topic, helping a client take action on that, put that to bed and then move to the next one. That That is what I see as being the real value of a financial plan. It's a tool for the advisor to use to guide their conversation and their, their client um, interactions to help them actually achieve those goals that they originally talked to them about. Right. And, and, you know, the role of an advisor, again, to me, is it's not about studying the money. It's about studying, you know, what that money is going to allow them to do. And if you continue to anchor on that through ways of, um, everyone has heard me talk about this, financial vision documents and whatnot, mm-hmm. and coming back to those things every time you meet with them and saying, you know, this is what we heard you say that you were trying to achieve and you're actually organizing a client's thoughts because sometimes clients, you know, they're just going along and the value of actually having somebody play back to them and, and bucket their different things that they heard them say into, you know, kind of categories of goals of what you're trying to achieve. And if you were to do that with a client and say, this is what I heard you say, 
Did I hear you correctly? Yes. Okay, great. Well, then now if we do this, we will, you know, enable you to actually do that. The value of that is, is quite incredible. And so, um, I just think, you know, breaking that down, anchoring on the 30,000 foot level, and then the advisor working behind the scenes on the actual numbers to make that all. Yeah, come I, into I think I think all that is exactly right to the but I think that the next extension has to be where I as a client can see that same uh, traction that I'm getting because I don't really and, and we hear this. They don't I don't really need to sit with my advisor to see the number. Right. Right. I don't really need to see to, to actually have to make a meeting to say I'm on track. I'm not on track because, you know, those are if I'm not on track, perhaps I'm going to make a meeting. Right. But if I'm on track, then it's like, great. So I'm, I'm going to stick to the discipline. It's all working. All that great. I think also by just having that like that that visual yeah. of a, a red light, green light, yeah. you know, here's where I'm going. Here's my comfort zone of upper and lower control limits of right. are we falling within those areas? And as long as I'm within that range, then green light, carry on. Yep. Everything is working. As soon as I fall on the downside outside of that, yeah. then that's a red light and let's stop and uh, yeah. revisit. Yeah. And I think, as you said, like life events are going to come into play. Um, if I have a way to say, oh, you know what? Like I haven't told you yet, but, you know, my daughter just told me she's getting married. Okay, I'm going to go to my financial plan. <laughs> I don't have a daughter, unfortunately, but uh, I have two great sons. But the, I think the the point of it is um, that life event is going to create a little bit of havoc to the plan that I have in place. Well, and, and it triggers a I bunch need of to other kinda, things. Yeah, and maybe I just want to go and say, well, I need to put that goal in. I need to assess how much that's going to be, and and. Maybe I haven't planned for it. Maybe I have, but now I'm actually going to separate it because that event is actually going to happen. So, well, that's it. Like if we're managing a you know a financial ecosystem, yeah. right? You can't touch one thing without it right. impacting this thing over here. Right. And so all of these things—that's the role of the advisor is to spot those little things that come out in the casual conversation mm-hmm. um, that a client may not even understand actually does impact this piece over here. Sure, and and then. Yeah. Stop, pause, yeah. and let's bring that in and, and help uh, connect the dots for clients. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to the value of advice, Kelly. That's right. Yeah. Always does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, I heard a lot of really interesting things. Um, the few things that have kind of piqued my interest, I think, are all related to this idea of digital engagement. So you guys mentioned things like co-creation, for instance, and then I heard hybrid as well. So... I feel like digital engagement is something that uh, everyone's a lot more comfortable with now because we were sort of forced into it with the pandemic, you know, as sort of an involuntary voluntary revolution, if you will. Um, but it's something that's gained traction, right? Like people are seeing the benefit of being able to just log on and, and do things on their own, right? Or being able to just log in and browse your financial plan with your advisor without having to travel to their office or having them travel to you. Um, and just getting things done a lot more quickly, a lot more efficiently. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the digital engagement models that are out there um, and sort of where we see this space heading. Yeah, digital engagement, I think, is, I mean, it's here to stay. Clearly, we're not, we're not stepping away. I, I think um, at the onset of uh, the, the pandemic has been the, the accelerator. Absolutely. Um, 
all firms have had to adjust and and be able to do business on, online and digitally. Um, I think there are there are clients who will still want to meet with their advisors. I think there's advisors who are still going to meet with their clients. Like you said, money's personal, and it can't always be solved through uh, you know a digital cable. However, I think there's parts of the I think what what people are starting to realize advisors as well. So this is another thing you said. People are starting to get comfortable. I think advisors are actually starting to um, really think about what is the hybrid model, not not when do I get to go back to the office? Because even if you go back to the office, it's still going to be a hybrid model that you can take advantage of. Um, and I think what, what has mostly come out of this is that, that the fear that a client would, it wouldn't be as good of an in- interaction, I think is gone. I think... They understand that it, it can be as productive, but the efficiency that it drives is tremendous. Um, I think the one thing about a digital model that's going to be a bit tricky is when you have a when, when it's a hybrid interaction with advisory teams and how do they maintain the usual bullpen-like connection, water cooler type efficiency when portions of the team are at home and portions of the team are in the office. Um, and that, that's just something that's going to have to, you know, iron itself out. And I'm, I, I can imagine that there are fintechs and communication companies that are working at that as we speak. So, um, but I think the efficiency that we've seen uh, driven by it and the, the fact that that hasn't really lost its, uh, the, the actual... Uh, engagement value is still quite high. It's it's only gonna there's only gonna be ways to try to drive more efficiency into that, and I think part of that is to give the interaction to the client, allow them to explore and do things um, that are not um, life changing, that are not in need of the higher value advice. They're just I just want to see how I'm doing. I just want to and right now I we we don't it's that's not a model that's very easily accessible. Um, and I think that's an opportunity for most. And, and to be honest, we're seeing that. Firms are starting to focus on client portal. Firms are starting to focus on that an interactive model that's beyond a face-to-face. So so I, it's coming, and I, and I think it's it's a trend that, that will continue for sure, yeah. in my opinion. Oh, for sure. You know, the, the you know, what was what's interesting here is that the industry was right for change. And when you think about the landscape that that was there, you know, the customer service could could be improved significantly. They weren't efficient. There's a lot of factors and a lot of things that um, made the industry need to change. And I, and you mentioned fintech. When fintech first came out, it wasn't that long ago, but it was seen as a disruptor. And it was a disruptor because it was changing what they've always done. And but it was adding the capability to do like a digital onboard and things that. It, you know, for the client, really made things much easier, much simpler, and much more efficient. And so, what you what you saw is that evolution of, you know, the digital onboarding, but then also the digital advice. And um, you know, the you mentioned uh, COVID, just the the accelerator for I was forced to try things, and guess what? I liked it, right? And so um, now I want to have more of that. And so the adoption um, increased, and so advisors had to pivot because they now didn't incorporate this technology and they had to incorporate these new client preferences into their business model and how they've always done things. 
and they were never disrupted before and it was done this way. And so um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's really interesting to see. And I think with, with the, the quick changes in the last couple of years, how important it is in order to stay ahead of those client preferences. Now they want, they want digital access. They may want face to face too, but they may, may just want to log on and see their advisor for five minutes without getting in the car, driving downtown and getting into the office. And it's changed the way the business is going to run significantly for the long term. I think it's opening up more choice um, for them to be able to deal with other people um, anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so that's the other component of this, right? You can now, uh, almost without borders, be able to deal with advisors and have your choice of um, even other professionals anywhere. And so that digital engagement is is key. and so on both fronts, one for the client, um, because one, I think it's giving them back the time that they they value the most. Mm-hmm. Two, it's giving them more options and choice of where to get that advice from. Three, um, the ability to, and, and we don't have a lot of um, systems that I can think of right now that are allowing clients to do this to this degree, but allow them to actually dig in and play around with some what-if scenarios on their own. Mm-hmm. And then eventually circle back to the advisor with their their right. questions. Um, and then, you know, my mind always goes to solutioning. And uh, as I heard you talking about, you know, the connectivity between teams and being able to, uh, you know, have that connectivity when some people are working at home and some people are in the office. I mean, COVID has forced that issue. But, um, you know, the solution to me is just leveraging CRM more than what they have to date. You know, CRM has, um, you know, workflows and systems and processes built into it. And if, if advisors actually leverage that more, um, it can solve a lot of those issues and concerns. Right. Yeah. And I think, again, we saw through the survey, uh, again, um, advisors are, are, are accepting the change. More than I would have expected last year. Certainly, the, it was that was probably the top surprise in the survey for me, um, and it continues. And I think it's because they were kind of forced into into adopting, and but then all of a sudden it was like, well, actually, that was that was really good. So so what's next, right? And and, so, and I think it's it's actually made it easier for people to step into that wealth advisor role because right. again, it's easier to bring those professionals from the other areas of a client's financial life from anywhere, get the best of breed. They don't have to be right, you know, in your office and bringing them into that meeting room anymore. You can leverage Mm -hmm. them from wherever. And so there's a lot of positives that have come, come from it all. And I think we've, we've only just begun to scratch the surface on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Drew, from a portfolio management perspective, you think of the analytics that are now available for people that are managing portfolio. Like it's, it's not just the client component from the advisor experience, but it's impacting every aspect of what they do day to day. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, we, we saw it. Streamlined investment management was a top three ask. Um, There's lots of firms that can answer that for them. Um, And more and more are, are trying to understand the business models and how they, in how they manage portfolios to then provide the tooling that drives the scale. And that's, that's a key to this digital engagement. I think it's a key um, strategy Investment management, like you said, becoming somewhat of a commodity. And I'd almost say that it's more the trade administration or the the administering of that portfolio is becoming a complete commodity. And 
if you just left the decisioning in the hands of the the advisor or the advisor with their client, depending on the scenario, um, and then everything else is taken care of once they've made that decision, that that's a, a tremendous opportunity for for time saving, right? So I, so again, I think like you said, we're just getting started, and um, hopefully we'll we'll start to see some of that shape up, and you know, in the years to come. Yeah, I completely agree with everything that's been said. Um, there was one point that I wanted to hone in on, and that was around tracking. And we, it's something that we were talking about earlier as well, where tracking is, it, it, to me, it seems like that's definitely the way to increase uh, client engagement, because it's one thing for the advisor to do, to do all this work. But if the cli- client is not engaged, then, you know, some of it kind of uh, is a waste, because it they're not, um, the the client's not receiving the full benefit of it. So for them to now be able to track it um, and to be a part of the process more, I feel is very powerful. And digital engagement is definitely something that's enabling that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, we're all, uh, your example of the Fitbit's a perfect one. Um, a client in their, if they're not engaged in their financial well-being and they don't, or don't have a way to be involved in their financial well-being, then it does diminish the value of, of advice because it becomes stale, right? right? The advice is no longer top of mind. If you've set goals, if you've done all that tracking, I think you, you know, or done all the work to to create that, tracking just allows a client to to continually to receive the value of the work that you've put in play. So, yeah. Absolutely. Now, there is something else that I wanted to hit on. Uh, We were discussing it earlier, and I want to make sure that we do get to it uh, because I feel it's really important, and that is decumulation. Mm -hmm. So you guys had a really good uh, chat about it, but I want to sort of dive into it where, Drew, you mentioned something uh, really interesting, and that is the two biggest cohorts are on either side of each other. So you have the accumulators, Mm -hmm. uh, that being the younger, you know, Gen Zers and millennials, and then you have the decumulators, the baby boomers. so, like, hybrid is definitely something that's going to need to be in place to service them both. Digital engagement will be a part of it. But I sort of want to hear your thoughts on how that balance can be found and sort of where the industry is going to go and how they're going to service these two cohorts. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So I think um, millennials are in a stage now where decumulation is more important and planning for that is is what's happening. And and. Those that are in retirement, they're already living it and trying to understand it. Um, it's not an area the mar- that the market focused on, quite frankly, for a long time, just because they were accumulating. The largest cohort was accumulating, you know, follow follow their path. Um, now that they are in retirement, there is going to be a need, a much greater need for um, the planning around the spending of money, the efficiency of portfolios in the sense that I shouldn't be taking a large lump sum and sticking it in my bank account and spending it over the next 12 months, right? That's dead money sitting in an account that, quite frankly, could be slowly earning you more. Um, and so solving that, that equation, solving that problem of how do I efficiently remove the money, it's also a tax thing, right? So all of your accounts have tax implications to them. They have, um, and, and they have efficiencies in decumulation. Um, and in accumulation, sure, capital gains and, you know, putting things away in re- retirement accounts to defer the tax implication. But now we're at the other end where those tax those taxable accounts have a, a greater efficiency than the non, 
than the registered accounts, which are now 100% tax. So it's almost a, a change in the thinking, um, but it's an area of opportunity I think this industry has to really service that client. And to your point, to perhaps reduce the burden of the work that it takes to, to manage decumulating clients, right? How do I make that a more efficient path? Um, because we've done all of the work on accumulation. We've done all that efficiency. Now I think there's an opportunity to switch the, to, switch, to flip the switch and start to look at that. I believe um, there's enough people working on the digital engagement for the accumulators um, because the accumulated, accumulation path is quite, it's quite well trodden. Um, it's now just about the engagement model, the experience that, that they're building on. I think there's a lot more work that can be done at decumulation. It's an opportunity for consolidation. So for advisors who manage clients' money that may be dispersed at other places, those who can tackle decumulation in a very efficient and simplistic way for clients are likely the consolidators of that money going forward. Yeah, that really resonates with me, actually, because uh, I worked in the industry for several years before joining CGI. And that was uh, one place that we were really trying to find the sweet spot in because you, we had clients that were retiring. And then, of course, they had cash flow needs because they're not getting that paycheck anymore. Um, and so there were instances where sometimes the client would say, OK, you know, what? just send me uh, X amount of dollars and this will last me, let's say, five months or six months. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and. And it was better to do it that way because it, there wasn't really an efficient way to get them the money they needed to them right on time for when they needed it, right? right? Like there was always this huge process uh, most of the times that uh, had to, uh, you know, we, we had to go through to make sure that uh, the right funds were being pulled out from the right account and the right securities were being sold. So I think to that point, if there is a way to make that more efficient, if there's a way to say, oh, you like to get your paycheck on the first, well, you know what, on the 28th of each month, it's going to be there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and everything is going to be automated. It's going to be streamlined to something we've been talking about so that it's done very efficiently. It's done in a time-sensitive manner and you know, everyone's happy and you really are doing what's best for the client because you're not pulling all these funds out, which (laughs) is essentially their need for half the year and just having it sit there and not do anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, and I, I agree. Like uh, I've seen, I mean, I see it personally. My mom does that. That's how she manages her money. And I, and I, I don't know how else to say it or it's like, well, if that keeps you comfortable, then, then that's the way you should do it. But I do believe there is a huge opportunity to solve that problem. I don't think it's a big, I don't think it's a big issue. I just think it hasn't been addressed yet. But, and we are seeing decumulation as an ask. So, for sure. And I think the, you know, the the other piece to to your example is the tax efficiency of that, right? right. So because they've used the the retirement plans as a way of deferring. Well, the deferral's ending, right? And so, <laughs> right. Um, yeah. but nobody wants to pay, you know, <laughs> as much taxes. They, they want to minimize it legally and uh, and find the best way to do it. And I think that's where, that's the uh, secret sauce right now, right? Yep. And and advice on on how to, how to take it out of those registered plans. Because for, in some instances, you don't want to end up at the end of um, pulling the money out with a, a, a huge amount of your savings stuck in a, in a, in a registered plan. Because you're going to pay additional taxes to take more out than you than than need be. So there is a tremendous amount of planning that needs to go into it. And but I think it's you know 
predominantly math that that tools can potentially solve so no absolutely and i think part of it is also that and you've all spoken to this earlier just the changing lifestyles of clients right where um you know, maybe a few decades back, it was sort of you retired at 60, you just hung out, maybe you went out on the boat. But now uh, you have um, individuals that are working into their 80s who are semi-retired, perhaps, mm-hmm. you know, who want to go off to Florida for half the year and then come back. Or um, people are just a bit more adventurous, I think. And maybe that could be my bias. Mm-hmm. But they they want to do more. They want to live more. They have um you know, we're, we, we're all evolving. We have our mentalities are changing a bit. So having a tool in place that can sort of take all those different needs into consideration, like Kelly, you mentioned earlier things around healthcare. Uh, you know, that's a big area. And in Canada, we're very fortunate to uh, have socialized healthcare, but it has its shortcomings as well. And there are times where people need to, you know, tap into their investments or savings in order to uh, make up for some of those shortfalls. Yeah, I mean, longevity planning, right? That's another one. Yes. Um, this is an, another key area for advisors to really look at because I, I think gone are the days of people retiring and then not doing anything, right? They, most of them want to be engaged. They they want to have a purpose. And so it may be that they're doing some consulting and it's not because they have to, it's because they want to. And so, you know, just planning for those um, different paths, those what if scenarios, what if I want to do this? What if I, I hope to do this? And then what if I'm not able to do this? And so, um, you know, again, ever evolving role of the advisor. Right. Absolutely. Well, speaking of the evolving role of the advisor, something really interesting that I noticed in the survey, Kelly, was that female advisors tend to, uh, gravitate towards that wealth advisor title, a lot more than the males. And I'm hoping you can speak a bit about that and why that's happening. Why are females uh, want, um, you know, taking on that wealth advisor title and sort of leaving behind the investment manager? Well, I think, you know, it just goes back to genetics, honestly. Um, <laughs> you know, we are hardwired um, as women to, um, you know, seek out and nurture relationships. And we we just naturally have that innate ability of wanting to, you know, listen and understand and seeking to understand and looking for those head nods, right? And so it, it just morphs into that whole um, coaching, counseling, um, and it's rooted in psychology, right? And so I think, you know, that's this is why you know, firms are all wanting women advisors, right? Like, why do we not have um, an equal representation of women in this business? Because honestly, they, we are made for this business, (laughs) right? We are relationship driven. And so, um, you know, when you look at what is encompassed in a wealth advisor, it, it speaks to a woman and and what they're craving (laughs) as generally. And so, um, you know, I think some of the other stats I saw in the um, survey were that the women were two, two times more likely to um, meet with their clients more frequently, right? And so, you know, advisors, men were um, looking at it as semi-annually and women were more likely to do quarterly meetings. And I think, again, it's just that innate bias of theirs that they want to be connected 
to their clients. They want to um, reach out and they want to broaden out those services. So I think that's... Yeah, I, I mean, I I also, you see it in a lot of um, women teams that, that um, you know, again, it's that empathy, I think, is a big factor. It's like empathy drives their advice. Uh, empathy drives sort of, they always, it's, to your point about, about connected, I think it's almost like a check-in. It's like, yeah. how, are, how are you doing? Not, not uh, if you want to know how you're doing, call me. It's more, you know, how are you doing? And not how are you doing financially. How are you doing? How are you and, really doing? Yeah, how are you really doing? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. How are your kids? What are your grandkids like? You know, I, 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 I agree. I think there's a, that, that nurture um, and empathy just makes them more attentive um, in, a, in an ever-changing, right? That wasn't the way the business was run. And um, I've heard from, a, from female advisors, they were, they, they and this is going to date me a little, but they were um, considered um, more of the Rodney Dangerfield of, of, the, of advice businesses because they were doing all that hard work, but they weren't being um, accredited for right. it. Right. Because it wasn't the practice, but they were already doing a lot of those additional services and extra touch points. Um, they just weren't. It just wasn't the way the business, you know, credited people. And right. I think that's and that's completely changed to your point. Um, you know, they're all trying to recruit female teams now. And um, I think we're all we've discussed the reasons why. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think um, women were two, two times more likely to uh, do the behavioral coaching, two times more likely, even on the, uh, the miss that I felt that I alluded to earlier in terms of that long-term care and elder care. Um, of the people who were doing it, it was women who were two times more likely to, to be addressing those things. So, like, women are just naturally gravitating to this. Um, and part of it is I think they have the empathy uh, for the clients and just living it themselves to, you know, they're naturally made to, to fill that role. So I think, I think when they, when it, when it becomes more personal that way, um, what, what you get is the, the ability to actually help identify your next need. And, and then you always, we talk about the value that the advisor brings and it's helping you identify what you need to consider next. And I think by knowing the person and, and having the person connection, that's where the, that all the other all, all those other components come out, right? And so it's not just about the numbers, not just about the portfolio. It's around knowing the person and then being able to ensure that they they're aware of what they need to be um, looking at in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree with all of that. Um, I thought it was great, and I think it's the perfect uh, note to end this on. Um, I would like to thank each of you for being here. I certainly enjoyed this conversation. Uh, do any of you have any last thoughts that you would like to share before we leave? No, other than this has been a great conversation. And I, and I will say, um, you know, for those who are looking to get a little bit more information, that isn't just quite a conversation. There is a report that will be out that will give you all the information that you need. Um, and I, I'm just putting the plug in now because, <laughs> you know, I love to, to, to plug the, the voice of the advisor. And, and for the advisors that listen in, you know, we look for your, we want to bring your voice um, to, up to the front. So, you know, there will be another survey next year. And then you can always reach out to any of us any of for us. Yeah. Um, actually taking action on those strategies that you decide. These are the things I, I want to action. And um, 
we can help you strategize to do that and yeah. actually be successful on the other end of it. Very good point. Very good. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Okay, awesome. And we're good.